0: Revenge of the 80s kids has been rated P for podcast.
1: I feel like I've spent about 10% of my life just watching little green bars fill up.
0: Oh. No. You! The person I can't remember. We have a problem.
1: No, Ian. No. We don't have a problem. You have a problem, i.e. you don't remember why you're doing any of this.
0: That may be true, but it's irrelevant, because in my martial arts and car-chase-filled odyssey across this country, I have discovered one thing that will bring your rotten organisation to its knees.
1: Which is? Operation Sandman. Oh, hell. Do you even know what Operation Sandman is?
0: I don't need to know. All I know is that it's morally defensible, and now we're going to end it. Together. You don't know
1: what you're saying.
0: On the contrary, I'm now clearer than I've ever been.
1: No, you really are
0: Can I show you something? No tricks. Keep your hands where I can see them.
1: Just a video file uh, it's day twenty seven of the outbreak. I'm here with doctors uh, Bale and Maguire, who have synthesized an antidote to the outbreak. Not only does it prevent infection, but it also renders the inoculated invisible to the creatures. Alpha Team and myself have all received the first batch, and the Doctors are now preparing a second which will be used to inoculate them.
0: They've breached the perimeter! Everyone into alert positions! Oh hell! We've lost power!
1: Oh. They're learning!
2: I
0: They're closing in. Don't fire until you have visual contact.
1: Oh, God. They're close. Why can't we see them? They can crawl the walls
0: like spiders. Well, no. They only have four limbs, not really like insects. I mean, there's something in their movement that's a bit buggy.
2: But I think it's just... I you know, usually load anything that's based on a video game, but that actually would be a step in the right direction, definitely. That would actually be pretty cool.
1: What does it mean? It's just nonsense.
2: Oh, excellent. I love I love the hour I get, especially when I'm really dizzy. It actually means something.
0: <laughs> no, I've seen this. I think they use it to... communicate. But it's just gibberish. It means nothing to us, maybe. That team wouldn't work, because what happens at funerals?
2: They just can't, they just kill all the people out go to the funeral. They're attacking. OPEN FIRE! Completely <laughs> <laughs> not worth <there>. it. <laughs> just be... FALL BACK!
0: FALL BACK!
1: So you see, we had to do something. I'm
0: beginning to remember. You made me... capture
1: him. He can't be killed. Not anymore. There was only one solution. He had to be... studied. Damn you, man! He's still human! Is he? After what you've just seen, can you truly say that he is? It was an accident. The danger has passed. You've made the
0: vaccine! He's too dangerous. I don't care what you say. Take me to him. Now. A concealed elevator. I didn't see this on the blueprints.
1: You don't know what you're doing.
0: Is this how you deal with us, Leo? We make mistakes and you just... Lock us in some dungeon. Or wipe our memories and throw us out into the ocean.
1: That's not how it happened, I... Oh my god. What have you done to him? He's... perfectly safe. Just... sleeping. Get him out. This amnesia. It's wiped out the memory of what you've seen in the last five minutes, has it? You can't do this. I have to do this. I'll freeze him. Now! You'll regret this. Subject release protocol initiated. Full consciousness will follow in the next ten seconds. I hope you understand what you've done, Ian. Oh, I think I understand quite well.
0: Welcome back, Justin.
2: Is it time to get up? You two have been waiting for me long.
1: So indeed, yes, 2002 is here and my isn't it exciting. Uh, we have so much to get to. I, I can't help but remember at this time that 2002, I believe was the year that I chose as being, uh, the most interesting, uh, to be a film student in. Um, so yes, we should be, we're expecting great things. Uh, we uh, them. this year what's that?
0: No pressure.
1: No pressure, pressure on the air. No, no pressure on the air uh, whatsoever. So uh, obviously, uh, as as this is the uh, of the uh, original part of the uh, remake, reboot, whatever you want to call it, of the Born Identity, we've obviously all got amnesia, uh, which is slowly uh, fading uh, away, and we're starting to recall. Who we formerly were, uh, and I was um, a combined strongman and ballerina at the Russian Moscow State Circus, which is as much a surprise to me as I'm sure it is to everyone else. Ian, what have you remembered? You are
0: Nazi. I uh, don't want to talk about it.
1: Okay, and Justin,
2: I was uh, a lemming wrangler.
1: Ah, well, I, I actually had a similar job during my time with the Moscow State Circus, but I was a Lenin wrangler, which is a
2: slightly different. <laughs> I
0: don't make jokes about lemmings. Okay, uh, Papers. (laughs) Serious
1: papers. (laughs) (laughs) So already we've spun off into bizarreness and irrelevance. uh, And what better way to start a podcast (laughs) and then to go straight into talking about one of my favourite films of all time, Death to Smoochie. I believe there are two of us in the room who have definitely seen this and another one who really should. Am I correct in that assessment?
0: Uh, in that you think I should really see it, yes.
1: Yes. Uh, and you have, I have forced you to watch it, haven't I? have actually seen it. Yes. Indeed. Um, now, the interesting thing about this is that in 2002, Death to Smoochie was not well liked, not well loved, not given affection. And uh, in fact, I think we in, in England uh, did not even know it existed because it, it bombed so hard in the US that it didn't even get a cinema release over here, and then it snuck quietly and shamefully out on DVD sometime later. But I am pleased, pleased to announce that uh, Smoochie will have his day, even though he's a dinosaur, no, a rhino, and not a dog. That's fine. And apparently, the film now has a rather large cult following. Uh, I, we did discuss this. Um, <laughs> At speed, I would imagine, during our Robin Williams retrospective. So, so I just wanted to place, this is it. This is the year of Death Smoochie. And, and what a delight and wonder it is, uh, placed next to Equilibrium, possibly, which I went to see <laughs> at the cinema. Which is possibly the worst film I've ever seen in my entire life,
0: gentlemen. I I remember you telling me about this film, and you were so depressed because what they call that, the Galaban brother cleric or something like that, and he's like, that's a really cool name for an organisation, and the guns fire in like this cross formation. It's really awesome, and it's such a shame it's wasted on such a terrible film. And then I I proceeded to tell you the plot without even having seen it. I I have since tracked it down on DVD, uh, I, my favourite scene is a scene where uh, Christian Bale kills twelve men to protect a puppy. It, <laughs> complete nonsense of a film. I think we discussed it in passing before. Uh, about you know, it's a world where, uh, due to, to to prevent wars, emotion has been outlawed. Uh, which you think, which I thought was like, oh, fair enough. So it's like an Orwellian state where if you express emotion, they'll send you off to re education camp. No, if you have the slightest emotion, a load of stormtroopers burst into your room in black leather coats and bicycle helmets and drag you off to the incinerator. So I suppose there's no repeat offenders. So there we go. Well, the, the, the method by which people, you know, emote their emotions is by looking at artwork and things like that. So, you know. And bits, bits of poetry. And Sean Bean gets shot in the head.
1: Well, you ruined well, it now. The... There's a special Sean Bean rule of spoilers, you see. To say that Sean Bean dies in a movie, well, that's not a surprise, really. He's the Kenny in the South Park of Hollywood. But the, the, the spoiler rule is very clear. You must not disclose how it is that Sean meets the, his maker in this particular movie. That, that is the, each, each Sean Bean death is its own lovable and special jewel that should be allowed to be enjoyed From the fact that the people know that it is, it is coming. But we'll forgive you this time, uh, but we will make you pick another movie to talk about.
0: Oh, my turn again, or is it already? Well, shall we get it out of the way? It's been a friend that has revisited us many, many times over our long journeys, and here, in a way, is a sort of death for it, although it does resurrect later. I am, of course, talking about Star Trek, for this is the year of Nemesis. Oh, dear. Uh, it, it's quite momentous. This, gentlemen, is the end of the original timeline. It is the chronological, it's the end of the next generation era. This started in 1988. This is the last iteration of that Period of the Star Trek timeline, which we are almost certainly never going to revisit ever again. And goodness me, it does kind of fizzle out and stall, and it's quite sad. It has been a while since since Insurrection. Uh, normally, there's like two years between a Star Trek film. We've had four years until we get to uh, Nemesis, so everyone was aware of how bad Insurrection was. So coming into this, it's an even-numbered film. I have to say, amongst the fans, they were feeling very positive about it all. Everything we were hearing was quite good. Hey, we're doing Romulans! Finally! Woohoo! And you know, there was gonna be this great villain who was gonna be like this clone of Picard, and it was gonna be space battles, and people had seen snippets of dialogue from the script, and, looked- and it sounded really awesome. And then we get there, and... I would describe it as: Do you play the game when you were, when you're a kid in school and one of you, you get a piece of paper and you fold it in three and one of you would draw the head of a monster and then you turn it over and someone draw the torso and then, and then some and you unfold it and you got this uh, this this horrific chimera of a film. This is Nemesis. It, it's almost like it was worked on in like ten minute snippets by different writers and then assembled uh, because it's just riddled with huge plot holes that you would spot in an instant. If you had any coherence about the script, you've got a Picard of Clone who really needs Picard's blood to survive. But he, 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 waits until he's literally on death's door to try and actually attack Picard whilst he's on board his ship, instead of snatching him when he was face to face earlier in the movie. Also, Data gets a, a, he gets his own twin in this movie as well. And, uh, yeah, and Data dies. Uh, so, spoilers everyone. So it, it all ends in a bit of a downer. And it's just a bit of a sad mess, and it flopped terribly. And there was no confidence in this from the studio whatsoever. The guy who directed it, this is the only film he's ever directed. I believe he's professionally an editor normally. So and I, I, I get the feeling they were kind of like, well, let's churn this out and it won't do very well, and then we can just call it a day. Um, so what do you guys remember about Star Trek Nemesis?
2: Yeah, not a great deal, I have to say. I remember some... Um yeah, I mean, I'm sort kind of reading through the synopsis now. I'm like, hmm, yes, I think I saw this like on TV once. And by then, I think I'd already practically given up on the franchise. So I don't think I was paying much attention to it, but I do remember the, the clone of Picard. Um, but I, yeah, I, I can't really much about it. It certainly didn't grip me particularly much. Now that you say it, I remember that's right. Data died. And, yeah. Yeah.
1: To refer back to the past, I, I smelt it coming. Uh, i I avoided it for many years and then uh caught up with it uh, uh, after Christopher Nolan took Tom Hardy and made him one of the stable of nolanesque actors uh and It was after i didn 't see Star Trek Nemesis for the first time until after i 'd seen The Dark Knight Rises, which means that i had I had a little bit more fun than most other people who 'd watched Star Trek Nemesis because I kept imagining the dialogue happening like this. So, Captain Picard. I see you would like some fresh strawberries. But anyway, yeah. So that that uh, that that was my fun with uh, Star Trek Nemesis, and uh, I'm probably be the only one who had fun like that because nobody else watched it ever again. Uh, Justin, bring us out of this pit of Nemesis-shaped despair.
2: Ooh. Well, I suppose I've got to really go for um, the big, right? Well, one of the big. I think i will go for Spider-Man.
1: Ah, yes, the second brick in the mighty wall of uh, superhero goodness, the tidal wave, the tsunami of of superhero joy that now envelops us completely with machine-gun-wielding raccoons. But we weren't ready for that in 2002. No, No, what what we wanted in 2002 was Tobey Maguire swinging around New York City in in a a strange collision between Spider-Man and the Three Stooges, of course, because that's what Sam Raimi does.
2: But I mean, I think basically you watch that and you go, well, they've nailed it, right? This is, I mean, X-Men was close, but it was very much doing its own thing with the superhero genre. Like everyone, you know, it's always, it, that's a throwback to the 90s with everyone in their dark leather and looking a bit mean and moody. And Spider-Man is unashamably like, joyous in comic books. So obviously Sam Raimi speaks to a Spider-Man fan. And, you know, it's like... It's like everything you would expect from a comic book on the screen. No apologies. It's just it's the origin story. We go large and life characters, and everything has got that kind of gloss to it that is very the the saturation of color is like, yep, this is this is a comic book film, and it 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 was a really important film. I mean, obviously, X Men starts off the ball run. I think but I think Spider Man went right here. You can do a big blockbuster film that's totally in. true to source material and you know we've, we've had the legacy of that ever since and yeah I, I, I was I felt very positive after that I was like wow okay they're finding out it after seeing countless superhero films rather hit and miss that actually succeeded and it's actually basically made by a fan I think that's the difference it's not made by someone who's just taking the property to make their own film they are genuinely a fan who doesn't want to mess with the source material so um so yeah, I, I, I thought, I, I kind of sensed it would be an important film. I didn't realise, you know, quite the impact, the, the thora of stuff we were going to get from that, but yeah,
0: so. You can judge its cultural impact because that, that line, with great powers comes great responsibility, just yeah. jumped into popular consciousness, didn't it? It suddenly, everyone seemed to be saying
2: yeah. it no, it's, in it's ironic moments. Us comic fans, it's something that we think, and spider is a very likeable character, because you see, you know, because he's kind of got young, and uh, he, you're always meant to identify him with him really more when he's Peter Parker, and so I thought it was a, you know, a great. I mean, obviously there there will be flaws coming up in the in the franchise, but at this point, its purest sense, it's kind of gold.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing that uh, comes very clearly to me at this time is that. X-2, I think, uh, which came, I think, the year before, uh, or maybe comes next year, or maybe it's this year. I don't know. X-2 is one of the superhero movies that really leaves a mark. And uh Spider-Man is the next one. And then I can't help but notice that until Iron Man, it goes a little bit quiet. Not that Spider-Man 2 is not good. Well,
2: so, well Spider-Man 3 really was disastrous, so... I think that, that, that then kind of wrecked it for a little bit.
1: Well, I think the thing is that uh, from the Spider-Man and X-Men success dollars, that's where Marvel got the scratch together to, to do Iron yeah. Man. Uh, but it took a while, you know, there's a bit of inertia yeah. there. Uh, and the only yeah. comic book movie in, I mean, ironically, in between uh, Spider-Man um and and iron man the only comic b- b- movie of note uh really uh is is the dark knight uh so it, it's like you know if, if if this was kind of a sporting event it's like you know a couple of uh Couple of plucky tries there from from Marvel, then all DC coming up on the inside with Batman versus the Joker, and then all of a sudden the match is all over because Iron Man puts it away in the back of the net or whatever. I don't know. I'm making some kind of football analogy there, but it, that's how it it kind of ran, and it seems like it happened in ten minutes, but really, really it didn't. It took many many years to get to that. Well, and, it, and,
0: and it, indeed. It, This is this is something uh, that I marvel on. We've been tracking cinema now for, God, coming up to 30 years worth of films we've been following. They've been trying to crack this superhero nut for a very, very long time. They keep trying despite the catalogue of horrific failures that we've had. They've they've keep there coming is. back, which is bizarre because comic books w- were considered a dying art form, or well, they still are in some ways. So it's it's really bizarre. they been going, no, no, we really, really got to try this time, guys. We're going to do it. I promise you, we're not going to give a screwy director. And and so the persistence of it and honing of it is quite interesting. What drove them to keep trying to get this right instead of going, guys, we just but can't it's do it. Bad,
2: because because we're all looking at the audience, including people who are, are rising up and, cap- and filmmakers are going. This is something we love. We love comic books, and they whoever's making these films doesn't get it. They are just making films with those characters. They do not really got the essence of those characters, and it, and it takes you know like big film directors who are clearly kind of comic geeks to kind of make make that happen. And when that happens, that then proves to the studio system that actually you can do everything. I think it's yeah. this weird comic thing. you can, There's stories there that actually are, are worthy of making yes. into a film. And it, it took a while for really that to happen because, you know, basically what would happen is you'd get kind of half-assed stories. They weren't as successful because they just weren't great films. They weren't very really interesting or or they were flukes. Or like you know, the Batman franchise kind of started well and then just, you know, the, 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 uh, people that own just ended in kind of pastiche you, you know, kind you, of lampoonery. You would, um, uh, and not serious. At that end, they're not serious to the source material. So it took a while, but I mean, then it, you know, it, it was going to take a while because it requires, um, you know, cheap effects. If you want to have, if you want to really make the comic book universe, then you shouldn't be holding back unless you're doing like Daredevil, where you can get away with something more subtle, uh, which they tried. But basically, if you want to do it full on, then you have to be able to have it so there's a big spectacle. So that was going to take a while anyway to get to that stage.
0: You're right, it is a completely different kind of approach. Before they would either like just take the characters and just do their own thing with them, or they would just try and get as much lore and story as possible and just, just concertine it all together into a mess like Judge Dredd. Uh, and it's finally they're like, no, pace ourselves out, the mythology's here is good, let's pace ourselves, we've got it's a few so films far. to do this.
2: You've also got the rise of the kind of geek culture, you know, you like comic books are things that people, people who don't read comic books, they had a really bad press, right? I mean, people just kind of thought of them as these, I always kind of despaired, really, because they, you know, we we created comic books in this country, and yet there's a, there was a terrible, you know, seen as this kind of weird people who like this kind of strange, I think, you know, kind of for children, people who don't know, so it had a really bad image, so making anything on that was always going to be a bit of a tough thing to pitch to studios um but that's all coincided with the kind of resurgence, the fact that you know you've got like the big Bang theory kind of popularizing that those aspects all that thing that's happened in the, in the noughties you know they're, therefore it's like it was the time to make a decent film that was on the rise
1: And then on the other side, then on the other side of that sci-fi fantasy coin, uh, the dying light on the other side is, is that somebody managed to elevate a pitch to the studios, Reign of Fire which I managed to sit through 35 minutes of yesterday before it was like, this is too much. I just I just cannot. I watched it at the cinema, came out, thought it was rubbish then, and it's even more rubbish now. This is a film uh, that, for me, got worse the second... I mean, so much worse the second time around because when you're ready for it, the patent ridiculousness of what you're being asked to accept really punches you in the face... Um, because you, you get the, the, the beginning right first of all their first major mistake is that they introduce young christian bale at the beginning with the worst child actor usually if you hear about a child actor it's like oh so and so was wonderful he was so subtle and one and there. this one they'd kind of gone i don't know and thrown a, a wet sandwich on the street and the first kid it hit it, it they just pulled him and go just say these words Don't worry about meaning or sense or subtlety. Although then later on, Christian Bale appears playing the same character older. And you're wondering if they showed him some of Christian Bale's performance and the kid's actually pretty good actor and trying to think, well, if this guy who Christian Bale is portraying is young, how would he deliver his lines? Because the person who wrote the script It was a bit like watching um, Alien Resurrection, where you know that when you know that Joss Whedon wrote it, you can hear Joss Whedon's jokes, but the director couldn't, and got people to deliver lines against the way that the script is written. And so you're like, mm, no, they, you shouldn't say that like that. That's not how the line is intended to be read. It's a joke or it's a, it's a witty thing or it's a comeback. You don't put a big pause in there or say it in that tone of voice. And that's exactly how the kid does it at the beginning. But then Christian Bale comes in and for two minutes, because he's doing a, a two minute voiceover about the end of the world, you're like, hmm, who is that? Is that Ray Winston? Is that Ray Winston? Uh, it's not Bob Hoskins. Uh, oh, my God, it's Christian Bale. I mean, he really does sound like this. Oh. It's like, what? Christian Bale being Ray Winston. What's that about? And then it's like this thing of like, oh, yeah, the dragons, they came out of the London Underground extension and then they wiped out the entire face of the Earth and humanity couldn't stand it and got, like, flamed back to the Iron Age. But these plucky survivors with spanners and and... Generators who live in castles and use torches and it's all grim. They're surviving. How? We used nukes against these things. We had tanks. We had all of these, you know, B-52 bombers, stealth technology. And we couldn't, those couldn't beat the dragons. But somehow a bunch of grumpy people in coats who grow tomatoes they can they can beat the dragons, can they? Because the dragons are a bit myopic at sunset. Uh give me a break, and then I stop. My brain broke.
0: No no, all you needed was a hand grenade on a crossbow bolt, job done. <sighs> well, I have
2: to say, even though it's somewhat flawed, I I I I didn't stick around to the end and I thought it was alright. Um, I kind of like the I um I, I kind of like the idea of a post-apocalyptic kind of dark ages, dragons, and, you know, I just kind of, that's a fun, that's a fun kind of setting, and I think at the time, I remember being terribly, uh, really looking forward to seeing, like, a dragon, like a proper dragon on the screen, and it, what, it did impress, I mean, at the time, that was an impressive, just the end of it is worth seeing. Because that's an impressive scene. That was like a proper, nasty, dangerous dragon. Not kind of... Not a dragon from Dragonheart. You know, this is like a serious, nasty piece of work dragon. So So I enjoyed that. But I must admit, it's flawed. I'll I'll totally give you that. There are problems. There are problems with the plot and various things. Yeah, I mean, for me... just a bit more forgiving. I think. Well,
1: it's just... Well, for a start... I mean... It it manages... There's no fun. I mean, I've just realised that the two films that I really haven't had any time for this year I've both had Christian Bale in them. What a bad year for him, eh? From my <laughs> point of view. I mean, I think the other thing... I mean, I don't, what I don't really understand on that one uh, is that there is no... There's no fun in Rain of Fire. It, it's not... And, but riff. the weird thing is, the script, you can hear fun trying to happen... And somehow it's getting squashed out of the way, like Christian Bell's character is supposed to be witty, but all the line deliveries betray that. I mean, you know, it's like um, when Matthew McConaughey turns up and tells him the story about, oh, our plane and we need this, blah, blah, blah. And he says, go away. And he says, "Uh, hey, wait. And he shows him the dragon's tooth and goes, yeah. I've killed a dragon and Christian Bell character gets a line which is like well at least the aircraft refuelling thing was original it's supposed to be wry, it's supposed to be a sort of throwaway, oh geez, this guy, whereas Christian Bell kind of rumbles through it and it's, it strips all of the wit out of it he wants this character to be a bearded blunt instrument and the scriptwriter clearly because every line the kid gets at the beginning is a quip and the kid can't deliver them and i don't know why either cuz the kid couldn't act or because he'd seen christian bale failing to get to grips with the character I and mean, christian bale is really bad casting in this in this case and that's the thing i think underneath it there is a, a good movie that could have been made and they had obviously had some money to make it with and they decided to make this instead. Just, just weird sort of thing. Uh, Ian, t- take away our depression.
0: Take away our depression. You want to pick something to have a good look at? Let's have a look at our top films of the year. Star Wars episode two? Too early for that. Yeah, yeah.
1: You two uh, Uh kicking the crap out of that will amuse me greatly. Off you go, gentlemen. Uh,
0: Actually, this this is a controversial opinion. I think this is actually worse than Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace is boring. Attack of the Clones is an insult to plot logic. There's no there's no plot. It just rambles along. It rambles along.
2: I completely.
0: And it's bizarre, because uh, I remember people coming out of the cinema going, oh, it's so good, it makes Phantom Menace better, it improves it. Uh, but uh, no, he, uh, Lucas, he, he doesn't know where to start his film, he doesn't know about character development. From the onset of the film, Anakin is basically ready to become Darth Vader. It's like, spot the obvious future traitor in the room. Oh, it's going to be that guy over there, the guy who's always bitching and complaining about Obi-Wan Kenobi. So he's, he's got no idea about subtlety. The plot of the villains is highly confusing and never properly explained, not even in uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, Justin, please uh, throw me a line oh, here
2: so- i agree this, I, you know the first one I forgive because it because 's it's a, it's a children 's film, so i 'm more forgiving even though i uh, you know, uh, it doesn't really fit. Part. But but this one, you're right. This one is bloody awful. And the reason this this key mistakes that Lucas makes in this. But the worst, the worst. Right. So Lucas is very in the previous films. He's very clever about wa- weaving in different cultures, different, you know, the, evoking different feelings by bringing, you know, the Jedi are, are, are bringing the kind of Japanese symbology and the the way they're dressed and the kind of samurai helmet of vader and then you've got the kind of western thing happening on tatooine so but it doesn't scream it it's kind of a it's a it's an influence but it's not like in your face and then for christ's sake then you go to a 50s diner it's a 50s diner yeah it's like it's meant to be a galaxy far far away from anything it's not meant to be like you're not meant to look at it and go, that looks just like this. You know, you're meant to be subtle about it, and it just basically lost the plot. I mean, it's so jarring. Yeah, the plot doesn't make sense. Those weird, long-necked aliens, like, who are they? What are that They're, They don't really quite fit the universe somewhere. They're just... That's kind of wrong. It's also the fact that
0: they've managed they, to manufacture a galaxy-conquering empire. It's
2: like, well, why aren't these guys in charge of everything then? Why are they just manufacturers? Exactly. And... And the but and the main the main problem is, you know, I mean, you know, Lucas he obviously had in his mind these six films which is kind of like the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. So you're meant to start someone who's cute and you're appealing and then he's meant to gradually turn to the dark side and then by the time you watch Return of the Jedi, you're meant to feel this kind of loss, you know, and then the redemption of of Darth Vader at the end, right? So, so it's a big it's meant to be a big story, an epic over six films. And all you get is you go from this cute kind of kid in the first one to the most annoying, obnoxious person on the planet. It's like this got no charisma. No one. You're just like, well, you, I just want you to die now because you, I don't care about you now. I don't care about your rise and redemption because you are never, ever going to be. Like Darth Vader, in my mind. Like, you just are a pathetic, whining, grumpy kid. And why cast him? Why, you know, no one cares about it. It's just like, yeah, sure he's going to go to the dark side because because he's miserable. He's not And hero, so, it. If I watch it, there's like no one in this film, because they killed off the only character that had any kind of charisma, and that's Liam Neeson's character in the first one. There's no one. I watch this. I'm like, There's no one I empathise with at all. It's kind of hollow cast of people. I don't really care about the story. There are references thrown in to please fans. So, oh, it's son of Boba Fett. Well, that's not good enough. It's just not. And it's like the only bit that I use is the bit that I use for my character design things is the gladiator creatures. Right. It's a nice bit of design in that. And that's about all I can say about the whole bloody mess of it. And I just, by that point, I just thought like, this is just completely real. Like the first one was like, whoa, this is a bit weird. This doesn't quite feel right. And this was like, you have no idea what you're doing. I have lost complete faith in you, Mr. Lucas. So yes, terrible, terrible film.
0: Waste of Christopher Lee as well, holding him back into the last quarter of the film. Yeah. Your principal villain, by the yeah. way, uh, yeah. yeah. Leo, what would, come on, you don't, not a Star Wars fan, pour a bucket of cold water on this and tell us it
1: was always so. If I'm honest, right, I remember, I remember the Phantom Menace and going in and being like, I'm not impressed with this and coming out. And I remember, I remember most of what happens in there. I remember the pod race. And I remember. The weird Brian Blessed racist thing, and I remember the uh, the, the anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic racist thing, and I, which was hilarious to me because it's just like this is so inappropriate. Fantastic. I remember reading the opening crawl and it's that trade delegation and, and I remember very very at the end, very very uh, the, the sort of fighting <laughs> with a kid, a plucky kid, you know, flying the friendly skies and, in, in, and sort of the fact that they'd kind of done this thing where, well, because in the, the new trilogy, we're doing kind of World War Two serial analogy and we kind of based all our designs on that kind of dog fighting. We'll try and make them look a bit more World War one-y and then remembering that World War one fighter pilots had drastically short lifespans and just being like yeah that's somehow wrong as well the whole thing was wrong from end to end but i remember all of it attack of the clones i remember uh anakin and obi-wan in a car and uh, oh there was the bit that was like a star wars ripoff of gladiator and some big glass bubbles full of clones other than those three mental images i don't actually remember anything about it uh, I wish, I wish to God, I could say the same thing about Die Another Day.
2: Yeah, Bond, ha- having Haven't we always yet? wanted the to
0: have an Ice Palace?
2: As uh, I said before, right, I get all of these ones, these three of them, I get confused. So which is the Die Another Day?
1: That, well, Die Another Day is the one with the invisible car and, uh, oh, God. The, Palace.
2: and the sword fighting. I don't, know, actually, I don't think there. I've seen this all the way through. I think I'd given up on the franchise on this one as well. The so where, I
1: where, I, where I totally checked out, this was it, I never wanted to watch another Bond movie ever again in my entire life, was watching Wrinkly Pierce yeah. para, parasending and then riding a melted iceberg tidal wave on an improvised boogie board made out of a bit of an exploded satellite. I was like... Really? For, for reals? I mean, this is the same year as uh as 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 Triple X in which uh Vin Diesel you know, by comparison Vin Diesel is younger, Vin Diesel is fitter, Vin Diesel is a bit cooler, and all he asks us to believe is that he can snowboard down a mountain faster than an avalanche, which is patently ridiculous. But that's, that's where we go. I mean, now that, that's the kind of level. That is actually the James Bond level. The Die Another Day is, is not even a good sort of self-parody. It's not even funny. It's just pathetic. It's, it's like, uh, we've, we went to the ideas barrel and guess what? There, there weren't very many, but we did get out our little spatula and we scraped these three off the bottom of the barrel. And that's what we're yeah. going to base the movie on.
0: I, I will and say, just... I think maybe to give it a redemptive reading, it's like we had to go down this, we had to push the silliness of these elements of, of pushing gadgets to absurdity because then we're able to have the complete course change to happen later. It comes out the same year as The Bourne Identity and Triple X, doesn't it? It doesn't do very well uh, compared to next day's two films.
2: No, I mean, I think, I think you, but the thing is, Bond franchise was always in trouble because films, you know, the, 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 the other companies were getting wise to what was missing and were just making fun films. We had like, I know it's a little bit before this, but we had like True Lies, which was really outdoing Bond. It just in terms of the kind of spirit of it, it had a lot of elements there that was missing. Bond was feeling a bit tired and kind of lacking fun at this stage. And yeah. then really, now in the coffin is Born Identity. Cause that yes. basically goes. This is how you do modern day espionage born identity no gadgets, uh, drama good story characterization but you know and it and bond is like dead in the water
1: well the born identity uh, of course is a film about a man who will suddenly pop out of nowhere and break your neck or shoot you in the head and uh, what how more appropriate than to kind of jump out of nowhere into the cinemas and take a bunch of cash off everyone and go wow that was a really good film who'd have thought i mean i remember yeah. distinctly going to see it because it came out in a week where it had no competition and going oh i kind of like matt damon i'll go and watch that it might be alright and then being like wow that was so good um you know so yeah i mean the thing is we have kind of kicked the crap out of half the movies in 2002 not even half there's many more dogs uh, uh lurking beneath the surface of 2002 but the thing is this is one of the first years where the amount of output is such that all the bad movies are outmade by uh, decent or even good movies of other types, and we just haven't really dwelled on those yet. So, yeah, the born Identity is, is as good a place to start with having a look at things that were good as any. Uh, Ian?
0: Born Identity, I know, it's it's kind of your things, guys. I just went there and thought that was an enjoyable movie. I, I, I'm not a, a born Identity fan. I watch them, and they're fun. But I don't I don't have the searing passion for it. I think it's good that it's revolutionised espionage i don 't know I, I don't have strong opinions guys take not the first person to come to uh,
1: well no, you weren't the first you were we were letting you have your have your say uh, but uh, maybe we can have a bit more of a, a fruitful discussion a film I only saw for the first time yesterday the Count of Monte Cristo and how has it taken me so long to watch this movie now I am going to be the first to admit it's 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 slightly better than serviceable, but not much. Uh, I think that following hard on the heels of something like Brotherhood of the Wolf, if they'd have, if, I think if you did the Count of Monte Cristo today, post, hey, the Bourne identity, you're going, hey, you know when he's in that tower with that strange guy, I know that Dumas was all like, oh, fencing and stuff, Why not just make him a ninja? And that's what people would do now, because they're just like, well, that's what we do today. There's nothing very impressive about a man. I mean, well, there is, but you have to go a long way to make swashbuckling. They kind of did very standard sword fighting in this, and it was fine, but no more than fine. Whereas these days, you want people, like, jumping off the walls and doing, like, parkour and all stuff like that.
2: The the recent Three Musketeer movie introduced the idea of kind of steampunk, and crazy kind of wire work and all kind of mad, mad stuff. Yeah. So uh,
1: I watched that and it was okay. But the, the, I think the problem there was that the Count of Monte Cristo is so much of a better story to do that with. The Three yes. Musketeers kind of works, um, you know, by itself, uh, and, and doesn't need all that extra stuff in it. And be better, yeah. in fact, putting more into the Three Musketeers makes it a little bit over tacky. Oh, oh yeah, I I I thought it was flawed
2: that one. But anyway, yeah. yes, I, I agree.
1: Yeah. Though, yes, yeah, the idea on the other hand of this guy who's—I mean—one of the nice things about it is that every scene you can see because they've done a straight adaptation that every scene of of uh, uh, Dante at the beginning is. Designed to show this guy is a nice enough guy. He's Jimmy Stewart. Honestly, Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Watson goes to Washington, but he's naive and idiotic because he's not living in a world where that kind of stuff pays off. So that's, and it's obvious his bas- best friends are Cad and a rotter, but he can't see it because he's too nice. And then he gets mm. locked in a tower. And I think what if the point is that then they just stick to it. But what people really want to see coming out of that tower is not a guy who's, you know, about to become incredibly rich and be competent with a sword and all this. They want to see, you know, a ninja come out of the tower. And if they had just gone and embraced that, it would have been great. Uh, but as it is, it's just good. I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm trying it sounds like I'm kicking it. But I, I, I think that they just missed the spirit of the age. It's not a. It's a, it's a very standard reading of of that story, uh, which I, nevertheless, enjoyed immensely.
0: Well, for me, it's always the film I should have gone and seen instead of Lost in Space. Saw Lost in Space instead, and since then, of Monte Cristo has always seemed a uniquely superior film by
1: comparison it would I can definitely see where you're coming from with that and you again I think there's a thing where you get just the same way that imagining the clone of Picard speaking like Bane is a joke you can only do after the dark night rises so watching um Watching the Count of Monte Cristo and watching Guy Pierce and all these people do the guy in and then go, you really need to watch box set one of person of interest before you do that. Um, is this, you know, it's, you know, cause Jim Weasel has raised his, his, his profile in the, in the intervening time and is now best known as, as TV's foremost action badass. So, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah. It's nice to see, uh, people uh, turning in, uh, stuff, you know, stuff like that. It's, a it, 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 very good, very good movie, uh, but just, you know, a bit, don't expect more than The Count of Monte Cristo, but of course that's the title, so why would you expect more? So yes, that, that raised my spirits somewhat. Ian, uh, what would raise your spirits at this time? Raise
0: spirits, uh, uh, well, let's, let's do it, uh, Minority Report.
1: Okay. D- yep. Good pick. Good
0: uh, yes, well, uh, this I feel this is more Leo's thing than mine, but it's the, it's a very obvious thing we can all say that was good. Uh, yes, it, it's it's one of those films that you can sit back afterwards and have a conversation with your more intelligent friends about it because it, it's so fascinating. You know the whole concept of of uh, p- crime prevention. I mean, I do think it's a bit off that you go lock people up for things they might do. I think uh, having people who come in and go, whoa, well, whoa, well, cool down, guys, something's going down here, let's just uh, not murder someone today, is a brilliant idea. I'm all for prevention. Blocking people up seems a bit off. But uh, yes, it's a, it's a great thriller. It's Steven Spielberg back again. As you said before, Justin, he's, he's, he's channeling Kubrick <clears throat> much better in this film. And, yes, uh, and, uh, and Tom Cruise, again, doing more observations. He's doing a great great piece of sci-fi. He's going to be doing a lot more science fiction films. Tom Cruise is going to be a little gift to us uh, in, the, in the years coming up yep. with, with the films he's going to be churning out. And I think this is kind of the first one, really. Was before this, he was just kind of doing his espionage stuff with uh, Mission Impossible. Really. It's the only things that were standing out for me, for Tom Cruise-wise. Here we are, and it's a great thriller, uh, and I think the end... Really pays off where he, he delivers an ultimatum yeah. to the bad guy where it's like, well, you either kill me and go to jail or you don't kill me and your entire organization, uh, is undone as a result because you've not killed me. As, as was predicted. <laughs> uh, but I feel that you guys are the ones that are going to be pouring in the, uh, pouring in the gems on this one. <laughs> Leo, come on! Um, Your time has come.
1: Uh, yeah. I was going to let Justin
0: go for oh, that. Justin go on there.
2: Well, I, well, I, I, I have to say I absolutely love Minority Report. Um, it's like everything comes together in this, and this is like the work of you know the kind of classic, classic kind of filmmaker. The thing that got me first of all is the fact that it's a very credible future, right? There is they went to town to kind of produce things that kind of seem feasible, like 40, 50 years in the future. No, I'm not talking about the psychic stuff. I'm talking about just the, the everyday kind of little things, just little touches here and there, like the technology. It's like previously, you know, science fiction was like, yes, we'll set this, this is 20 years and people have jetpacks and, and it was actually going, well, okay, it's set like 80 or 90 years in the future or whatever it was. And, it's, it's not like gleaming towers and everything else. It's, it's, it feels like it could. So it's a very smart design. Um, then coupled with that, you've got, yes, a film I actually like Tom Cruise in. That's a first at this stage. I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm buying this fantastic story, kind of gripping. You know, you really, you know, are kind of, in, kind of involved in this, in this ongoing plot line and intriguing what the hell's going on. Um, and yeah, it's got this it's it's just got this fantastic spirit about it. It's kind of smart, like you say. It's a smart, intelligent yes. science fiction thriller. There aren't enough of them, you know, there really aren't in the in the history of cinema. So to actually come away I felt very satisfied. Like, yep, that's that's a good
0: film. It's proper science fiction because it's like, it takes the idea of yeah. w- a world where murder can be predicted. And then it's, it does the proper sort of, you know, if you're writing a novel about a world where murder can be predicted, you always have to tell the story of someone who circumvents the system and, and commits the perfect murder in that world. And here it is. And it's great that he, he as I said, he never finds his kid they never resolve that plot point, And that feels quite real to me. Um Anyway, mm-hmm. Leo.
1: Yeah, Minority Report. Uh, A lot of ground has been covered here already. Uh, But, yes, it it is. What's fascinating to me is that uh, Tom Cruise, uh, mm, he may not last out on this now. I think that uh, Edge of Tom, uh, as as it was called on all small ticket stubs everywhere, finally uh, may, I hope it hasn't. But I think... The enthusiasm of studios for Tom Cruise in intelligent sort of sci-fi or sci-fi, even the attempts to be intelligent as Oblivion was, which is fine. I'll take that. I don't I mean, you know, as long as that's not everything, I'll take that, too. It may be over because you can't have a film. Mind you, Minority Report was exactly the same at the time. They, they, The studio lost confidence in it. They said, "Well, Tom Cruise is in a Steven Spielberg sci-fi action movie." And then they turned it in, and they went, "This isn't a summer blockbuster. What are you doing all of you? What have you done here?" And so they snuck it out in the, you know, dead part of November or October or whatever. But it, you know, it got respect, but it didn't get the money. And, you know, Edge of Tom has done the same thing. What is curious to me, uh, on a personal note, is that Tom Cruise does this stuff. He engages with a broad array of science fiction concepts, classic science fiction concepts, and not in a stupid way. The writers of these scripts, you know, Oblivion was a little bit disappointing for me, but it was all right. It had good points. There were good parts to Oblivion, although the whole, for me, didn't really hang together. But there was some nice stuff in there. And it really bakes my noodle that someone who could do all this stuff. I mean, these are the films that spin off that sort of science fiction part of the Matrix. Like, this is the strand of, of, you know, science fiction design that comes out of that. New things and all of that kind of stuff. How can someone like that be a Scientologist? I don't understand it. Because science fiction is designed to show your brain that scientologists talk nothing but nonsense, and yet somehow Tom is a walking enigma. Maybe we could make a science fiction film about that, a man who swims in waters but does not get wet. How strange. I mean, for instance, Tom Cruise wouldn't go anywhere near the script for the Time Machine remake that came out that year. Mm. A film so poor, I could only bring myself to watch clips on the internet of it to remind myself how bad it was. And thankfully, none of the clips dealt with that bit where his wife gets hit by a meteor or whatever. That's <laughs> what I'm remembering correctly, aren't I? That's what happens, isn't it? Well, he's so walking down the street. It's not even a piano. It's like, pfft, me too. She has
0: clear. to die because if he doesn't die, he won't build a time machine. It's paradox. Uh, Jeremy Irons comes in, steals the show towards the end. Now, remember that bit. Also, and there's a brief point where he travels into the future, and there's quite an attractive woman on a bicycle, I remember. That haunted my memory for quite some time afterwards as well. But other than that, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess of a remake of a very, very classic science fiction film.
2: Uh, the- yeah, absolutely.
1: I just have to uh, step in on the Jeremy Irons thing. There were a couple of things. Jeremy Irons is only in the film because the studio were like, we don't have quite enough stars, and there's no antagonist per se. So what we're going to do is get Jeremy Irons to spout a bunch of nonsense while dressed up like (laughs) Kane from the Legacy of Kane series. Except, yes, except Kane with a brain that goes all the way down his back and is exposed, because that makes sense. There are, there are virtually no good decisions. The good decisions in that film were all about the swishy kind of time travel effects. And there was obviously a little team of people who did that, and went, these are going to look boss. And then they saw the rest of the movie and went, uh, no, what? What? No, but in the George Powell, which they reference, that was a big mistake in at one point in the movie. They reference the fact that a much superior movie was made like 40 years before um, that still holds up today. And to be honest, the time travel effects in that are pretty decent. So, you know, the yeah. CGI ones they're don't only add they're that much. close what they had at the time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And you can't, and you can't help but think when you watch the time travel sequences, well, if they could do this sort of similar thing in the 1960s, then at the end, they have to swoosh out through space and show like space stations and stuff, just because, well, now we can do that. They couldn't do that in the 1960s. Ah! And you're like, yeah, but it doesn't really make it better. It just makes it swooshier, which is not necessarily
2: better. (laughs) See RoboCop reboot. You know, it's time travel. You blew it's up the time. Don't, don't, don't see don't, don't see RoboCop reboot. I think is the no
1: no. Don't go and watch that. I mean I mean just reference it. Look at clips but of yeah. it on the internet. All I'm going to yeah. say is that the time machine remake is is like the time machine but more tactical. There you've got the best out of the RoboCop reboot. There I've just done it for you. There we go. Tactical. So yeah, it's just oh.
0: Defeat the Morlocks by discovering there's a boss Morlock you can kill that makes them all mindless. And then blow up your time machine, because it's like a nuke. Because yeah, this, this is the American remake, you know, so there we go.
1: One thing I want to point out as well is I watched a fight sequence and realised that the Morlocks appear to get the Eloy, yeah? And they blow dart guns at them, and the darts hit everybody. and the, But the, everybody keeps running away so that the Morlocks can then... Like get them round the ankle with ropes and stuff I'm like why are you blowing darts at these people that don't the, the darts don't do anything they cover them in ink by the look of things they, they keep running even after they don't they don't even look ill they just go oh I've got a dart in me oh I've got ink on me oh I'm gonna keep running oh now I'm in a net it's like I don't understand how you could even direct that and not be like hmm maybe the darts should do something like they should Fall asleep or something? I'm just saying. Theory me. I mean, it makes the Scorpion King look like a work of genius. <laughs> Is the <laughs> Scorpion King <laughs> a work of genius, or am I just watching the Time Machine first? Uh, oh, I think
2: God. it's better. <sighs> wow, I've killed. I've killed the show with the well. It, it put it this way. It's it's better than the Marty. I got it wrong. That's Is... Not saying Martin.
0: I got it wrong. No, no, no. Is it... it wasn't. It was. It was. It, it was Scorpion King and County Monte Cristo.
1: Ah, right. Yeah, I thought, how would you? They were lost in space of, and, and and County Monte Cristo in the cinema at the same time, seeing as they're from completely different years. Yes. It but, was. But I still stand
0: by my point.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, the thing about it is, Justin's just made a controversial statement. Now, I would certainly say that the Scorpion King is better than Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Yes. Because by that time, the shark had most emphatically been jumped over and rendered in terrible CGI, um,
2: yeah,
1: but the mummy returns just has one really egregious there's some lazy CGI, but then there's one really egregious point, which, as everybody keeps pointing out, comes back because the studio wouldn't let them have an extra month to render it properly, yeah, um, or just go, hey. Why don't we not have a big mon- CGI monster rock, seeing as he's kind of the antagonist or whatever? Couldn't we just do a makeup job or something and have him come out yeah. onto? Yeah. I mean, he's a big guy. He's going to look imposing if they actually have a fight, you know. I went, no, got to do the CGI and it has to be by this date, even if it looks like an action figure, which is what it did. But the Scorpion King, to my mind, I, I've seen it. Because I, you know, I, I just thought I'll watch this at some point eventually. I can't really remember it at all. I mean, so like, the, the, you know, if I did a, a double bill of uh, Attack of the Clones and Scorpions, I mean, it'd be like I'd never seen either film before
2: because I just can't remember anything about them. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's not anything like the mummy, the other films at all. It's just using that because there's not really a great deal of supernatural stuff in it. It's much more pulpy, kind of, you know, Rice Burroughs kind of thing. They're trying to evoke that because it's, you know, big, muscly men who are, who are trying to become heroes. And so there's, there's several people in his kind of stature. So it's it's much more earthy and about that. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not a brilliant film, but it's not anything particularly offensive about it. I mean, sure, it could be more exciting, but you know, it's okay. I think,
1: okay, that's, I, think. I think that's the big thing. It is pretty tedious. Uh, let's, let's steer away from tedium for a moment and deal with some of the uh, bigger releases that people are like, why aren't you talking about these? And I am, of course, talking about Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. I'll start with Harry Potter because um, you guys, Lord of the Rings is your thing. So I'm uh, just going to say about this Harry Potter film. I think this, the Chamber of Secrets gets a lot of flack for being a bit flat and dull. It's because the first one is like, well, it's the first one, and we'll give it a pass for being a bit flat and dull. But now we've got the second one, there really is no excuse. I quite like The Chamber of Secrets, personally. I've watched it twice now, and both times it was not not only not offensive, it was reasonably entertaining. Both times I enjoyed it. Uh, Am I mad? I've saw no, I saw it once in
0: 2002, and I enjoyed it at the time as another Harry Potter iteration. Looking forward to another film in a year's time or so.
2: I mean, look, I'm a big fan of the books, and so when I watch a Harry Potter film, it's not ri re- I know all the other stuff going on, and I know that they are obviously uh, condensed to, to fit all that in. Um, so I treat them very much as what they are, and I didn't find anything offensive about it about chamber of secrets as you can tell it starts getting a bit darker so the less of that kind of the the, it's almost like the first one it's just like christmas everything's all shiny and wonderful and and and, you know it's obviously getting a little bit darker and as as the books progress and the films do um so yeah i didn't mind it at all i mean you know the the the, my favorite one has yet to come but it's all right so it's reasonably entertaining
1: Uh, So now, moving to The Lord of the Rings, I'm not gonna really say anything. uh, Well, here's,
0: here's finally a film where stuff starts happening. I think that's the main reason I enjoyed it. Stuff starts happening, guys! (laughs) Justin, please, again, I feel this is your, this is your seat.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I love, I love all the films, but I understand that obviously the Fellowship of the Ring, the structure of it, there's a lot of walking, okay, and there's a lot of, uh, we're going to do something and get there. But yeah, I mean, I think this is where, really peter jackson really kind of takes reins of it and and it's pretty dramatic stuff right i mean there's um it's obviously astoundingly beautiful to look at as all they all are and i can never i never this this i never really can understand the attention to detail on this the fact that you know the, the road Roman settlement is built in the middle of nowhere it's not a set right that thing is built on location on top of a mound in the middle of New Zealand. So there's no trickery when you see long shots in that city. Uh, I, that just astounds me anyway. But anyway, so yeah, it's dramatic. I think all the, the, um, the battle is really cracking. You know, it's really, it gets like epic in the third one, obviously, but it's a really good siege. You know, it's like fantastic. There's kind of monsters and creatures and you know, you've got all the, uh, uh, um, all the kind of stuff happening. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's fun. And um, yes, I, I agree. This is where we really go. Right. Let's ramp up the drama and throw everything. So, yeah. Great. Loved it.
1: So you guys, uh you know, various measures uh, were there glorying in your boy wizards and your... Not so boy wizards and your uh, tree people and your orcs storming yeah. on castles. I, on the other hand, was uh, finding my heart to be lifted by the sight of Jason Statham covered in oil, kicking seven bells out of a bunch <laughs> of people with a fire hose. That was that was for me one of the high points of the year. As you, Statham-
0: that's a box of chocolates, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, uh, the first thing about it is. We've got to remember at this point, and this is right at the cusp of this, is the beginning. I'd seen Kiss of the Dragon, and this, I think, is the only reason that I was like, oh, that's The Transporter, and it's produced by Luke Luke Besson, which made The Kiss of the Dragon last year. Uh, It's a bit of a strange title. I mean, now The Transporter is such a franchise, they're even making a TV series of it. Uh, but at the time, obviously it was nothing. It was a completely, it's not, to say it's completely original, uh, belies its B-movie roots. But it, it was an original concept, the idea of a gruff, a gruff cockney living in France, driving vehicles in a military fashion. Weird. I mean, you know, fine, you want to do that, it's great. But then to call it, you know, we've got this action film and he does loads of martial arts. He's like special forces trained and he does all this driving and he's like, I've got free rules and all this kind of stuff. Uh, what should we call this? Should we call it The Driver? Should we call it uh, Burning Rubber? Should we call it uh, Jason Statham Kicks ass? Uh Those are all descriptive, but I think what would really go is The Transporter. It's what he does, A to B, he counts does. something in his car. Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, the title is a bit of a... Well, the thing is, it's very clever, because in retrospect now, everyone knows what the Transporter is. But you're like, is this a film about, you know, uh, people going down to the planet in Star Trek? What's going on? Uh, I don't know. But yeah, with that one minor gripe, which has turned into its weakness, has turned into a strength. That's about it. I also enjoyed Resident Evil. Actually, no, that's a lie. This year, I really hated Resident Evil. This is a film that only became acceptable when the sequel came out. Because Resident Evil failed to deliver anything that you would imagine to be in a Resident Evil movie, and uh, therefore, you came out thinking, well, that's the end of that. They had a chance, and they screwed it up. And... In yeah. fact, that's not true. Uh, they decided to make a sequel and when they made a sequel, they went, well, no one's going to see this. Let's just toss in loads of references to the game in a big sort of smorgasbord of, you know, foggy streets and we'll put the nemesis monster in it and gunfights and, and, and things in a church jumping people, you know, cause nobody will want to watch it. And I'm like, um, could you? Yeah. That, could we not do that first and then move on to the other stuff? But no. But yeah, uh, then after that when I went back. And, and now, as all fanboy buttons in my mind have been pressed, uh the argument about whether Mila Jovovich's character is broken. It's a movie. Get over it. Notwithstanding. The first one makes a great first episode in this saga, which will end as soon as Milojovic has had another baby. We're going to get the final chapter, which we were going to get next year, but now we're going to get it 2016. Because, uh, family and stuff, pregnant, Mm -hmm. uh so yeah but yeah i I didn't enjoy it this
2: year this year, I thought it was rubbish no it's actually quite a quite a uh like a nasty film It's like actually just a bit bleak and and i i lo- I remember playing the game and loving it and like, yeah, this doesn't really feel like the game I know. this is just kind of wrong, so I watched it and went yeah but yeah I, I agree, and you know i through through uh watching many of these sequels with leo i I've grown to love it myself so um
1: It's possibly uh, one of my favourite film franchises of all time. Uh, But as a franchise, the films by themselves are nothing special. But the epic, I think, works quite well. Uh, Well, the only thing I've I've really got left on my radar at this time, and this is just me speaking personally, is uh, Blade Two That came out this year, and I jolly well enjoyed it quite a lot. And I noticed in the Wikipedia list, They give uh, credits to Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, Ron Perlman, all good. Thomas Kretchen, yeah, find Danny John Jules. Not a problem. Is there a credit there for everybody's favourite ex-boy band star now turned action star? No, there isn't. So I think that's Wikipedia's bad for that. But, yeah, I mean, because that was my favourite part about the whole movie is going, that's the guy from Bros. Holy crap! Yeah. What also, uh, Goss and Wesley Snipes punch deli- each other in the face on a stone column is awesome.
0: Also, oh, Don Jules with uh, long fang-like teeth. Uh, how often do we see that? Only oh, yeah, so that never, never. Ever, yeah. ever. Yeah.
1: You kind of expect him to deliver his mission from the vampire nation and go, oh, by the way, that's mine and that's mine <laughs> and that's mine. Anyway, so...
0: Uh, I saw it once in two thousand two. I haven't seen it since. I enjoyed it. Uh, no slight against the Blade franchise, uh but I, my memories of it are I, I remember they, they did they did say like, look, we'd write it and we'd write ourselves into a corner, then we'd sit back and think, How is he gonna get out of this? Oh he planted a bomb on that guy earlier in the film. That's how we'll do it. That that was kind of the solution to getting him out of getting him out of fixes. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, it's, it, I think there's a problem with that when you go, really? But when you go, that's cause Blade's that cool. You're like, yeah, I totally pulled that out of my ass. It's like, yeah, but it looked good. You know, it's just I great. I really don't mind that at all, to be honest. If you get away with it, it's not a problem. They got away with uh, it, yeah. Just say so it's a bit, yeah. It's, it's just
2: observing it. Uh, well, I feel like there are, there are a couple here I shouldn't mention really. I mean, they've got, um, insomnia. Ah, uh, but we we did talk out.
1: about that at length in Robert Williams. That's why I kind of kind of avoided it. It's not. It's, it, we all decided at the time it wasn't our favorite Christopher Nolan movie, so we kind of stuck with that.
2: What else was that? What you were you saying, Justin? Uh, Twenty-eight days later, uh, a worthy member of the you know of, of the zombie fraternity films. I think. Um we're not zombies. Uh, I, don't, I don't.
1: There we go. Uh, somebody <laughs> said it. Uh, I wasn't going to be the first. Yeah, it's not really my cup of tea, if I'm honest.
2: Didn't mind it. Didn't really like it either. It was just
1: eh.
2: And uh, well, I think it was kind of you know a serious kind of British zombie film. I think. Yeah, was, I mean,
1: the, the, the one thing was, it does uh, get. Uh, is that we don't. We, the, the only game. other British zombie film I can really think of is Shaun of the Dead. So you know, it's 28 Days Later and Shaun of the Dead. Uh
2: But I was on my on a high, which I think I really. Um, and that was Lilo and Stitch. Now I know you know I'm, it's animation, but I thought they I Disney did a good thing. This is the end, the death throes of you know kind of before they disappear, and then we have the rise. of the, uh, well, the rise. of Pixar was already rising, but at this stage anyway, Disney was kind of making some terrible decisions. Now Lilo and Stitch didn't actually do very well at the box office, but I actually think it's a rather charming, lovely film that has a very anarchic. Central character, which is very unusual for Disney. They play, obviously play it safe and they go for the cute and the more my kind of, you know, standard roles. It's probably why it didn't do well because it's kind of more, I guess it's more tech savory or kind of cr- the crazier kind of cartoon influences. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit of kind of Warner Brothers thrown in as well. Uh, but I thought that was a good, I thought that was a good move and, um, I thought it's kind of, it's, it's a fun, crazy film. And unusual for Disney, but um, but it wasn't enough to save it. I'm afraid at this stage.
1: I didn't see it. Never seen it. Haven't seen it to this day. Yep. It's cute. Mm. It's fun. Ian. Uh, well,
0: uh, the last film I want to talk about this year, uh, gentlemen. Imagine so have that. You
1: seen, I just want to ask: Have you seen *Lilo and Stitch* before you go into it?
0: Uh, no, I didn't. Have, I didn't have right. Lisa and nephews just... back then. If I had, almost just, certainly check. I would have. Because bloody hell, I've check. seen *Frozen* now.
1: Um, yes, just check uh, it uh, on you go.
0: On my go. Uh, the film I want to talk about. Gentlemen, imagine like it's in—it's the future, and Earth has a galaxy-spanning empire, and we decide to invade a planet. Well, uh, this planet's not hospitable to us, because 80% of the materials on that planet are lethal to us and will dissolve us like acid. Also, we're going to be sending down our soldiers completely naked, and they're only armed with an aerosol that is lethal, but has a very short range. Also, we're just going to liberally distribute our forces, higglety-pigglety all over the planet, with no real structure or strategy. Also, to be sporting... We'll We've got a big, big sign writing in the sky to tell the guys we're going to invade that we're coming. If this strategy seems like a complete pile of crap, it's because it is. Nevertheless, it is the strategy employed by the aliens when they invaded Earth in signs. Yes, aliens come to planets where Um. water is lethal to them. That's handy. Uh, Notable for the fact that it's an alien invasion story where everyone hides in the basement until they go away. Twist at the end for End Match Shaman film, there is a god. Damn.
1: So, you don't subscribe, therefore, to the demon uh, theory of what happens in the film? Uh, no.
2: Yeah, they're killing okay. you. The aliens. What's the demon theory? Leo? The
1: demon theory is that because Mel Gibson's character has lost his faith, he interprets the evidence that he sees before his eyes as being an alien invasion. But it's not really an alien invasion. They are demons. And the reason that the water kills them at the end with the baseball bat and all that is because he's blessed the water as a priest or when he does it or wherever his faith is restored. And that they're not really allergic to water. They're allergic to holy water. Um, and there's other stuff as well. There's whole, yeah,
0: sweet not snack. buying it. No, he, he, that, that water was left around by, her, by his daughter. who likes starting glasses of water and leave them around. And, uh, his brother was really good with with whacking a baseball bat, but well, not much else, but all those elements come together serendipitously at the end to defeat the alien that invades the house. The fact his son has asthma also saves his life as well. So, you know, the, the twist is there's a God. There's a god. So there we go. Night Shyamalan.
1: I cannot speak for, uh, I hated it and have never watched it after the first time. So uh, I I just put it forward as something I have heard and I've gone, huh, that's interesting. Well, I wonder if people are just reaching or whether there's anything in
0: it. As, as Malex the pirate said at the time, uh, you know, all, all these aliens, they can cross the galaxy to come to Earth, but they can't figure out how to open a freaking door.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, there we go. So, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, unless anyone, of course, has anything to say about the uh, incredibly, uh, well, I suppose we better do this one then, uh, Red Dragon, uh, directed by Brett Ratner. If anyone has anything to say about that, uh, they'll have to tell us directly. How might they achieve this, Ian?
0: Well, one place they can go to talk, talk about this uh, patched on. Uh, we better crank another one out whilst uh, Andy Hopkins is, is is not too old. Uh, they can go to our Facebook page. You can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as a number, so 80s, uh, please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. Uh, but podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards 80s kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so e-i-g-h-t-i-e-s-kids.podomatic.com, uh, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice, or download to your PC for dark reasons of your own. Uh, but this is anywhere our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must go to...
1: Uh, LeoStableford.com, where you can find an archive of uh, podcasty joy, uh, which I believe now covers the entirety of the 90s, uh, but does not yet include our top fives. So you still need to go to Podomatic for those. Uh, But it also includes other stuff that I have cast into the Internet void. Uh, for the enjoyment of those who would wish to read it. Uh, but, uh, if people are tired of words, either in their ears or in their eyes, Justin, where might they go to find something that is less filled with verbiage? <laughs> uh,
2: well, uh, one page you could visit with my, with my DeviantArt page under my name Justin. Full name Justin Wyatt. Um, just in case, you know, you're, you're consoling yourself that we haven't talked about Bubba Hotel.
1: Uh, yes, uh, that is, I mean, what is there to say uh, chins can kill and Bruce has the proof of that? Uh, there we go. We've covered yeah. Baba Hotep now. Brilliant. <laughs> what what more need be said about that or indeed the work of peerless genius something that we could not even uh come to apprehend on a sensible critical level which i am of course talking about jason x that's why we haven't talked about that uh because of course everyone knows nothing improves a horror franchise like shooting it into space if you're going to shoot something into space ian what would you shoot into space Good lord. Myself, of course.
2: And and Justin? Um well, without the aid of any kind of suit or anything to help him, George Lucas, I think. Certainly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, he's already handed it over to Disney. So, the,
1: the... So we have a George Lucas amnesty. I think we're going to have to go away and show show uh, Justin the bank statements that uh, George Lucas has issued, showing how much money he's thrown into charitable causes to apologise for Jar Jar. So while we do this, you go and consider 80s things in an 80s kid's fashion, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Farewell.
2: Bye.